Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, everybody, on this uh, holiday weekend. How are you doing? Good. We're going to continue today with our uh, talk about physics of the quest. Um, just like to say welcome again to all of you who join us from across the world. We appreciate it. I want to say a big hi to Eric and Joni Slaughter, particularly who uh, part of us all the way in uh, Arkansas in the USA, but uh, are a source of great encouragement, which, which is always to be appreciated. Uh, also, just to mention today, I appreciate Stuart being here. Stuart had surgery this week. He's in hospital getting chopped up. Good, good that you're here, Stuart. I appreciate, appreciate that. It's great. Uh, and also, just, uh, just uh, a note for John Band. Um, you know, John's wife, Betty, is not well, and uh, John's, you know, he's not spring chicken himself and having to, to look after that. So I just want to pray, Lord, we just send blessing, strength, help, um, all that we are and all that you are, we just pull it together today to send to John that today will be a breakthrough day for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, also, as I keep saying to you, I'm sorry you have to keep wearing these masks, uh, hopefully by June the 21st, we might get some, uh, some breakthrough on that. Um, we were told that we're following the data, not the dates, but it seems that wasn't the truth because the data's brilliant, uh, but we're sticking to the dates. For whatever reasons, that's fine. Um, but hopefully, hopefully come the end of June, we might have a little bit more semblance of, uh, of normality. I'm also glad that they're lifting the... Uh, the 30 people um, restriction on funerals. We, m many of you won't know, we've been conducting funerals here all the way through the uh, lockdown. That's been part of our service to the community. And, uh, and, and it's interesting, we're probably the only ones that would do it because there were no venues to hold more than 15 people that would allow uh, humanist leaders to do the funeral. So we, we opened up, said whether they're of faith or none, we don't matter. We just want to provide a facility to serve people at their time of grief. And we've been doing that. So I'm, I'm glad that that's going to be lifted. And uh, uh, when, when you've been at the butt end of that, like Danny and I have, you will see how horrendous that has been, suffering for people who've lost loved ones. So I'm really pleased about that. Uh, and of course, we're all in this together. We support this so we can serve the community in that way. Anyway, as I shared with you uh, last week... Um, uh, and this is not being dramatic, it's serious. I have been in crisis for many years, and uh, I came to the understanding that it was not a crisis over my faith, it was a crisis over my beliefs, and I would say I'm still in that crisis. I have no crisis of faith. I believe in God as much as I ever do. I, I trust the goodness of God. I know who I am in Christ. I have no problem with that, but I have understood that you can be in crisis over your beliefs 
that's not necessarily a crisis of your faith. And, and the many discrepancies and anomalies arising during that time, uh, I now realize were leading to me to the place that I called last week the intersection of faith and belief. Uh, and they're interconnected. Belief and faith are interconnected, but they go in very different directions. And that's my struggle at the moment, and that's my struggle for Q. Because I want Q to take the path of faith, not the path of belief. For many reasons that we talked a little bit about last week and we're talking about again uh, this week. Now, among the many challenges we have to face in that place, probably the greatest for me is who am I if I'm not my beliefs? You know, in, in that movie Smallfoot, which we've used... Uh, when it deals with the thing of the gong ringer, remember they had to ring the gong to get the great sky snail to go across the sky uh, so the sun would not rise unless he rung the gong, which of course they utterly believed that, but it wasn't correct. And when they finally decided they weren't going to ring the gong, they found that the sun was faithful anyway. And I've found that about a lot of stuff. But, but in that, Migo, the son who's going to take over as being the gong ringer, makes a statement. When they don't ring the gong, he says, but if I'm not the gong ringer, who am I? And this may not be true for all of you, but I have to ask the question, and some of you need to ask the question, who am I if I'm not my beliefs? Our, our beliefs that we have been given and built up have become all that we are, and we are nothing and we are nobody apart from those. And, and when you have to change that, it's really difficult. Am I only my beliefs? Is that it? And for some of you, forget the religious connotation. You believe you're worthless. You believe you're ugly. You believe you don't fit. You believe you don't have anything to offer the world. If you're only your beliefs, is that it? Well, it doesn't have to be. Have you ever stopped to observe it's usually when we establish belief that we start persecuting? I've never known anybody who didn't have a strong belief who was a persecutor. That's why Jesus, I believe, said, and we'll deal with this a little bit next week, blessed are the peacemakers. Why blessed are the peacemakers? Because peacemakers are not so gripped by a rigid belief system that they become persecutors of other people. They become peacemakers. See, at the root of all persecution... And, and get this, get this and log it in your mind, your heart, your spirit. At the root of all persecution, you will always find one thing, belief. You're not the same as us, you don't believe like us, you don't say it like we say it, and that's where it springs from. So I think that's why it says in the Gospels, which I said last week, and I'm having to revisit and overlap a little bit so that we can blend the two talks together. Uh, when Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Right? Not will he find people who believe in him, but will he find faith in the earth, which is very evidently a different thing, because as we said last week, belief is not faith. Faith is what happens when our beliefs run aground. And I would say I have shifted more from being a person of belief to being a person of faith, particularly in the last five to ten years. And the reason for that is that some of my beliefs started to run aground. About me, about God, about the Bible, about hell, about people, about the world, about the universe, about all things. See, the truth is your spirit can be buoyed up by beliefs. 
but can also be brought down by them when they prove inadequate. So we all have these strong beliefs and then all of a sudden the belief doesn't work and we suddenly find ourselves in, in deep crisis and because the reason is it's not you that's inadequate, your beliefs have proved inadequate. And they most certainly will at this point of the journey where you find yourself at the place where belief and faith join in that intersection. See, belief can be held guilty of interfering in the process of faith more than it contributes to it. See, get your head around that. Belief does not naturally progress us into or towards faith. It will, however, push you more towards religion, legalism, and fundamentalism in whatever area you apply that, from domestic to, to church to politics. See, See, the problem is belief wants word in stone over word in flesh. And so I begin to understand the Bible even more than I have ever done because the Bible says in John chapter 1, and the word became flesh. That's, what, that's how it described the coming of Jesus. The word became flesh. Not the word became stone, the word became flesh. But we still want to go back to all those things that we know like the Ten Commandments that are written in stone. And we want everything written in stone because we fear the whole idea of word in flesh because it's too flexible. We want certainty over everything. See, belief has another danger within it that only faith can free us from, and that's the risk of stagnation, because belief can never go anywhere other than where it already is. So if you're only stuck in belief and you don't understand faith, you will stagnate and you will become stuck, because belief is formed by always looking back, but faith is formed by looking forward and beyond where you are. So are you willing to hear beyond your belief? Belief is a product of the mind. Our beliefs are mostly narrow and rooted in culture and upbringing, and their modeling comes from personal and communal experiences. That's how beliefs are developed. There's nothing sacred about beliefs. That's where they come from. Because belief is a product of the mind, the victim mind is already disadvantaged. So if you have a victim mind... Beliefs will rigidly attach themselves to that victim mind to where unless you change from that and not let it define who you are and move into the place of faith which is the beyond, then you'll stay stuck. It's at that intersection of faith and belief where the choice to be brave and the willingness to be willing set you in a direction where the next two vital issues of importance become seen and they are acceptance and forgiveness. According to the physics of the quest, if you're truly willing to regard everything that happens to you on that journey as a clue, and if you accept everyone you meet along the way as a teacher, then truth will not be withheld from you. So the question is, are you seeing the clues and are you spotting the teachers? I love these modern-day parables, and uh, as I've said to you before, when you become a student of Scripture and understand the parables of Jesus, you realize he wasn't preaching from Bible texts. He was using all the revelation that was within him, in his spirit, to use things that uh, 
connected to people's lives in order to get through a point. And, you know, if Jesus were around today, he might say, listen, you guys, go home and watch Smallfoot. And then come back and we'll talk about belief and faith and we'll talk about religion and we'll talk about change and we'll talk about opportunity. So we finished up by saying, if you're truly willing to regard everything that happens to you on your journey as a clue, there's the problem. Because most of us are not willing to regard everything that happens to us on our journey as a clue. So guess what? You miss the clue. And if you miss the clue, you don't solve the problem. Because we're not open enough to look at everything that happens to us in our journey and understand it's a clue. And if you accept everyone you meet along the way as a teacher, but we don't want to do that. Because we, we have already so fixed in our beliefs, we don't want life to teach us anything. Especially if it teaches us something that contradicts our established belief. And that's what this thing is all about. It's trying to help us. So let's not forget at this point, Migos, that main character, had been banished from the village. Why had he been banished from the village? Banished from the tribe? Banished from the denomination? Banished from the group? Because they believed he challenged the stones. And so the answer to his challenge to the stones, what was setting stone that they did not want change, was to banish him. That still happens. That's what happens. The church has a word for it. It's called excommunication. You challenge the stones. You can't be part of our, our group, our gang anymore. See, Migo's problem is if he says what he saw, a small foot, a human, a small foot, then the stone is wrong because the stones say they don't exist. If he says he didn't see what he saw, then he's lying. And this is always the dilemma of truth. You see, for us to say we will never be in that position is for us to arrogantly suggest that we are party to all truth. There is no other truth than our truth. There is no bigger truth than the truth that we have. There is nothing more that we need to know. We have our stones, and each of us does, bear me in mind, each one of us has our stones, and we're just like the yetis with what's written on our stones. You can't challenge the stones. This is the way it's always been. And so trouble starts when we challenge the stones. But sometimes you've got to just get honest. And uh, as we often say in the context of church, it's not good for business. See, stones are always about certainty. And the object of certainty is to place things beyond question. That's the problem with certainty in any philosophy, any doctrine, any church, any set of fundamental beliefs, is that the object of the certainty they try to bring, because we feel, don't we feel more comfortable with certainty, right? We don't like uncertainty. That's why we don't like faith. That's why we gravitate to belief, even if it makes us persecute, because we don't like that feeling of uncertainty. But the object of certainty is to place things beyond question. And Jesus was consistently challenging his Jewish audience to get rid of the certainty that they had established, because that always put anything else beyond question. Certainty places things beyond question. And anything beyond question has no quest within it. And the physics which really govern life has no outlet. I hope that here, if I 
Seeing what you believe told you we know what to do with questions, breathe. I hope you'd have the same response as the Yetis. You'd be obedient to breathe and then you'd run off and say, right, we're going we're gonna to ask the questions. See, our need for security drives us to accept certainty above truth. I get it. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm the same. Our need for certainty, for security drives us to accept certainty above truth. And that's the problem. We want security, therefore we go certainty, therefore we're not open to follow the path of truth by faith. But you see, certainty is a limiter, not a liberator. And that's why so many of us, maybe so many of you, are stuck in life because the certainty you have, even the certainty you have about who you are and where your life has brought you to and what has happened to you, that's your limiter. It's not your liberator, it's your limiter. The stones represented a level of certainty that became an obstacle to truth, not a defender of it. And I'm going to challenge you with something. Jesus and the Apostle Paul tried to get that through to their Jewish community about how they had developed their religious belief from a revelation they once had. The stones represented a level of security that became an obstacle to truth, not a defender of it. So, so Migo dares to go be beyond the clouds, below the clouds. He goes below the clouds. We're going to talk about why the clouds are there in a little bit, but Migo dares to go below the clouds. That's where the unseen is. That's where the small foot exists. That's where the thing they said is not real actually is. I find it fascinating. I've told you my fascination with the wisdom and foresight of Scripture has increased in recent years. It's interesting that when Paul in the book of Ephesians writes about, about Jesus, he said, He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So it talks about he who descended below the clouds. The whole incarnation of word in flesh is descending below the clouds. To get to us, the whole context around Jesus' crucifixion is he descended into the depths, into the lowest parts, so that he might come out and set free everybody who was under there. This is biblical, what's on here. For those of you who might worry about that, he descended below the clouds and rises up so that what he is can fill the whole universe. The clouds are representative of the barriers we create to separate us from that which causes us discomfort and brings the kind of challenge that certainty does not want to accept. We all have created clouds to stop us having to observe the things that cause us discomfort and bring the kind of challenge that certainty doesn't want us to accept. You might think Migo going below the clouds was a direct challenge to what was written in the stones, the established belief. But it was never about challenging the stones. It was always about questing for truth. Don't get this wrong. See, some get it like Migo's friends and immediately feel, we've got to bring some truth to the village. Let's wake them up. And that's where we are. I'm grateful that we found some friends who in our little journey have said, hey, we've got to bring some truth to the village. We've got to bring some truth to the church. We, we, we've got to wake, let's wake them up. And that's part of the reason why we changed from rock to queue. But what may that demand? 
I'm not always comfortable with that. I don't know about you. <laughs> but the way the leader dealt with Migo's return was, but what do the stones tell us about questions? I wish I had a, a, a pound for every time somebody said, uh, yes, but chapter and verse. Where's chapter and verse? Where's chapter and verse? That's the same as him faced with the challenge of having to see what's below the clouds. Oh, but what do the stones tell us about questions? The reality of Migo's discovery challenged the stones, and that prompted a conversation. And this is what the leader said to his daughter. Do you see what you've started... Yes, do you? Boy, is that a question that we ask ourselves if we go down this path? Is it a question people like me get asked in a church like this? Right? Some people think I've ruined the church. I'm the right. And I make no apologies for it because we needed to move. We needed to move on. Do you see what you've started? Her response. But they've been living in fear for far too long. See, we don't understand that along with beliefs, there is the power of fear. Because it's fear ultimately that keeps you tied to your beliefs. And then we always want to justify our resistance with some virtuous sounding statement. All I ever wanted to do is keep you safe. Everything I do, I do to protect the village and you. And that's what happens within the culture that I was raised in. Oh, all I ever wanted to do is keep you safe. You know, we wanted to keep you from the problem that might be created by questioning the stones. That's not where we are. We're not going to do that. And so something I said last week that hit home with some, it becomes then tribe over truth. We must protect the tribe rather than pursue the truth. We must have belief over faith because that makes us more comfortable. We must have mind over spirit. So you get this, where faith is not allowed to fill the cracks in belief, and we all have them, fear will. And fear will drive you back to the familiar. Fear will never drive you forward to a new day. Fear will only ever drive you back to the familiar. I, I have some deep reservations about what has happened this last year because it has been rooted in fear. And fear does funny things to people because when you want to say there's no reason to be afraid, people don't stop being afraid because now they think if we were supposed to be afraid then, we should be afraid now. And I've lived under the cloud of a gospel that was built that way that made us afraid. And then we said, don't be afraid of the judgments of God. Don't be afraid of hell. Don't be. God is love and kindness. And God has done something bigger than what you think. You can't get the church to move out of that because it's, well, what if I'm wrong? What if I am as bad as I think I am? What if God's love doesn't really reach to me? What if there is a hell and I listen to what you're saying? See, where faith is not allowed to fill the cracks in belief, fear will, and fear will drive you back to the familiar. The quest for truth has always been carried uh, sorry, the quest for truth has always carried with it genuine risk for those at the forefront. It can feel not unlike dangling from a rope. That's why I love last week we finished with Migo dangling from the rope. Uh, and uh, his, his quote was, uh, um, I, I think the plan might need more planning. 
I feel like that as well. But then we move to Michi, the daughter, the, 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 the leader's daughter. She's on the rope this week. She finds herself also there because it can feel not unlike dangling from a rope because of the genuine risk of being at the forefront of what this is. Faith is not a statement of beliefs, but it's a statement of one's very being. So once we've been brave and willing, the question is, what must we do next? In our last clip, Migo said something very, uh, very poignant that I think we all need to hear. And this is what he said, truth is complicated. And it can be scary, but it's better than living a lie, way better. And I want you to know that I know that truth is complicated. That that's why faith is often a difficult path, because truth is complicated, and faith is the thing that grabs truth when you can't always prove truth by what it is that you see or what it is you think, but it's something you know and you're reaching for because there is a beyond. Now, for many of you I know, you need a beyond, you need a hope, you need to understand that there's something beyond where you are. Faith will take you there. See, I relate to Migo in his attempt to try and teach those bound to a certain way of seeing things that there may be more. There may be a different way and not to be afraid. Now, I think the scene in this last clip where they break the glass, insert the key, and turn off the mist makers is very powerful. Did you get that? Smash the glass, got the key. And maybe we've all got to smash something in order to get the key to turn off the mist. Maybe that's again the problem that we believe, a bit like the fire alarms behind the glass. Did you grow up as a kid terrified that you might accidentally break the glass and the fire alarm would go off and then you'd be in the headmaster's office because you broke the glass to the fire alarm? It was scary. Of course, you had kids that do that anyway. We all know those kids. And they're into about the fifth or sixth year of their uh, time in full Sutton right now, most of those kids. But you remember, there was that thing, we had them in the school. But you see, this is part, maybe, I'm just trying to get through to you, maybe we have to break the glass to even get to the key. And maybe what we're talking about might be for you the simple step of breaking the glass. You say, well, what is the glass? It's the thing that keeps you from the key that will turn off the mist. And if you make a decision to break that glass, you will find the key and the key will allow you to turn off the mist. When that's done, they get a clear view of what's beyond their world. How many of you would like to have that? A clear view of what's beyond your world. Well, the question is, have you turned off your mist maker? Because we all have one. Why might you not want to? For the very reason that the Yetis didn't want to turn it off. It keeps us from facing certain things, but it's in facing those things that we find what we need to break free from what is holding us and binding us so we can be the people we were always meant to be. We make the clouds. Not circumstance, not God, not some devil. We make the clouds. And we're not particularly good at reality and dealing with the true self. We're all egocentric in our unredeemed state. 
And by unredeemed, I mean redeemed to think differently, bought back from that, being willing to smash the glass and get the key. We're all egocentric. We might not think it because we're all so humble and I'm so broken, but actually we are so full of ourselves and so full of our circumstance, not necessarily in strength of personality, but we hold on to it with strength. We keep it like the protecting of the stones because if we say that's no application anymore, who am I if I'm not my problem? Who am I if I'm not my pain? Who am I if I'm not my offense? Who am I if I'm not my criticism? Who am I? Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's called egocentricity. <laughs> we create the mist. And there's my little bit of cleverness for the day. We prefer mystery, M-I-S-T-E-R-Y, as opposed to mystery, M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y. Did you get that? We prefer mystery, M-I-S-T-E-R-Y, as opposed to mystery, M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y. We prefer to secure the I than run with the Y. Why won't you run with the Y? Because you're worried you can't secure the I. But if you don't run with the why, the I will never be secure in truth. It will only ever be bound in a lie that means you can never be free. We prefer the secure I than to run with the why. Which do you want? That's really down to it. Which do you want? Mystery, M-I-S-T-E-R-Y, or mystery, M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y. See, we love probably need the self-induced fog to protect us from what is out there that may confront and conflict with our beliefs and disrupt our ego, and so we deny ourselves what could be as a result of the physics of the quest because we keep the mist maker running. See, if we can throw a deflection shield, all the better, and that's what the mist is. And for you who've been in church all our lives, here's the ones I hear. But God says, my ways are not your ways, and my ways are not your thoughts. So however you want to challenge the stones, you can't do it. Because we might not understand why that should be in place, but God says, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Total misrepresentation of that verse of Scripture. And the God is in control one. Some of you have been there with me. God is in control. He knows what he's doing, which means there's the mist, so I don't have to deal with anything to find what really is the truth that is in faith rather than just the rigidity of my belief. Let's move it out of the church arena because not every one of you were raised there. You don't know what I've been through. That's a mist. Do you know how hard it is? That's the mist. It's all right for you, that's the mist. So I don't care whether you've had all your life in church or only the recent time of your life, that's how we create the mist. That self-induced fog to protect us from what's out there that may confront and conflict with our beliefs and disrupt our ego. For those of you who've ever encountered that dreadful sense of being abandoned, were you really abandoned by God? Or were you abandoned by your own belief? That's where that sense of abandonment comes from. Not from God. He will never abandon you, ever. The sense of abandonment comes because you've been abandoned by your own belief. And the sooner you realize that, get to grips with it, we can have truth over tribe. In Yeti and Smallfoot terms, 
If either continues to hold on to their beliefs rather than embrace by faith the dynamic of a new day and a new way, they will return to the fear, separation, and judgment of the old ways. So finally, linking the physics of the quest to our little foot story, I see four steps. Be brave. Be willing. Accept forgive in today's talk accept that what has been happening to you is actually a clue to what you can be because you can turn off the mist maker and that you can forgive yourself for being there and you can forgive circumstance for being what it is because once the mist is gone you don't need those things to bolster your identity because you are not your belief so in finishing let's go back to where we started I've come to believe that there exists in the universe something I call the physics of the quest. A force of nature governed by laws as real as the laws of gravity or momentum and the rule of quest physics maybe goes like this. If you're brave enough to leave behind everything familiar and comforting, which can be anything from your house to your bitter old resentments, and set out on a true seeking journey, either externally or internally, preferably both, and if you're truly willing to regard everything that happens to you on that journey as a clue, and if you accept everyone you meet along the way as a teacher, and if you are prepared most of all to face and forgive some very difficult realities about yourself then truth will not be withheld from you. I believe that. And if you'll take this divergence of faith over belief, the truth really will not be withheld from you. And you will find what it was you were always looking for, which the Bible in its terms calls the kingdom of God, and which I want you to be fully part of and to fully live in and live through. We've got more to add to this next week, but I hope that's helped you today. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.